evidence, a difference-making faith. And here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number one, it's a very familiar verse, but it's where we're confronted with one of the clearest definitions of faith that we find in all of Scripture. Now, if you know this verse by heart, why don't you go ahead and say it with me? But it says this, let's say it together. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Why don't you say it again with me? I think you can do better this time. I know it's rainy. I know it's dark. I know we're all discouraged, even though we were all wanting rain just a few days ago. All right, so let's, uh, we can read this together. Okay, let's say it again. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, this verse here is written in a uh, poetic style that was very common to the Hebrew way of writing. And the reason that we identify it in that way is because, notice here, it gives us two parallel or foundational truths that sort of work off of each other and in essence sometimes even say the same thing. So what do we know from this verse? What we have learned so far and what we understand is that faith, it is the substance of things that are hoped for. Notice it here. See, faith, our faith is the substance, it is the confidence, it is the assurance of our future reality. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, it is the foundation by which we build our lives upon. It is the confidence of our salvation in Jesus Christ. But not only that, the verse continues to tell us that it is the evidence of things not seen. It is the evidence, that means proof. He says that your faith is proof of things that are not seen. So what does that mean for us as believers? That means that our faith, the way that we live out our faith in this world is proof to this world of the fact that our unseen God, our unseen heaven does in fact exist. Now, to me, that is so powerful because it takes our faith from a personal thing. Sometimes when I'm witnessing to someone or talking to them, uh, you know, they say, well, my faith is a very private thing. It's a very personal thing. And by the way, it is. But at the same time, our faith is also to be evidence. It is to be seen, it is to be revealed. And I believe that a Christian's faith is one of the greatest ways that can point someone else to Jesus Christ. And so that's where the whole theme of our passage is here is that it is evidence that God is real and that he is coming back again for his people and he uses us to tell others about the gospel. Now, just this week, we had a comment on one of our Facebook ads. And the comment on our Facebook ad for our church, which, by the way, this is one of the kindest comments. You guys don't see them because we delete them kind of quickly uh, when someone's kind of mean. Uh, but we got this comment on our Facebook ad this week, and this lady just wrote on here, and she said this. Now, I know she's misguided. I understand she's trying to make a point. But she said, she says, I see that you are selling hope, is what she said. I think in one of her ads it says, come and find hope in Jesus, you know? And she says, I see that you are selling hope. And she says this, hope from what was her comment? She brings up a very powerful thought to me. Because as Christians, we often say those kind of things, right? I have the hope of Jesus Christ. I have hope of heaven. I look forward to, I have confidence. I know, I have assurance of my salvation. Amen, that's good. We do have that. But she's saying here, well, what, what are you talking about? Where is the evidence of that? Like, what are you talking, you're saying you have hope, but hope from what? And I, to me, that really made me sit and think, and that was a great question. What is the evidence in my life? What is the evidence in our church? What is seen in our community that reveals that God is real? Why? What is it about your life? What is it about our church that would cause someone to say, I, I want that? I actually, I need that in my life. I need what they have. What is it about our life that can be revealed to our community that there is hope, in fact, in 
Jesus. Now, this has been the subject of our series, looking at how our faith can be evidence. And so far, we covered two and one-third points. Remember last week, we didn't get very far in our message. And, uh, and so far, just to bring us up to speed, we have talked about how our faith is evidence when it becomes a priority for us, when we make it a priority in our lives and we keep Jesus first above everything else. The second sermon we talked about is that our faith becomes evidence when there's a real desire for spiritual growth. Meaning it's evidence, people can see in you that you desire to grow in your faith. These are undeniable evidences and proofs for the hope that is within a follower of Jesus Christ. And last week we began another evidence of our faith, and that was that our faith is not just left to us inwardly, but our faith begins to express itself outwardly in a desire to serve. I call it a heart of service. A person has a heart to serve other people. Now, we spent the majority of our time last week breaking down Galatians chapter 5. And if you turn over there, if you've got your Bible, let's go to Galatians 5. I'm going to just reference a few verses by way of reminder. But in Galatians 5 verse 1, it says, stand fast, therefore. That means, what is he talking about? If it's therefore, you see what it's therefore. Uh, in, in context, he's talking about the fact that we are no longer children of bondage. So he says, you need to stand fast then, okay, in your freedom. But then he says it very clearly, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We need to understand and be reminded that in Christ, we are free from the bondage of sin. Praise God for that. We are free from that bondage. We are free to its uh, enslaving power over us. But we are also free to guilt from our past. We are free from that. We are also free, as we studied last week, from legalistic formulas that mankind loves to place and add to uh, pure salvation in Christ. And we're free from those legalistic bondages and those humanistic aspects of life. And so we have freedom in Jesus Christ. And our spiritual freedom in Christ is a wonderful thing because it means that we're going to stand before God one day and give an account for that freedom that he's given to us. Each of us individually will one day stand before God, and we have this freedom. However, with this freedom from Christ, there are some safeguards. There are some parameters that are given to us so that we have freedom and experience freedom to the fullest extent as God desires for us. Now, last week, I used the illustration of our son, our teenage son, Maximus, and the idea of freedom that we have been extending to him the older that he gets. I think we can illustrate it maybe another way, though. I'm so thankful today that I have the freedom to get in my car and drive anywhere I want, right? Isn't that great? That's a freedom, isn't it? However, (laughs) that freedom... When I got my driver's license at 16 or 17, when I got my full license, there were some parameters to that freedom, wasn't there? You know, Nisley is a a trainer. He trains drivers uh, for our transit. And so if there's ever a problem on transit, make sure you talk to him, write down their name, uh, the bus that they're driving, the time of day, and he'll, he'll fix it. And it's great. But when he trains drivers, don't do that, okay? Don't do that. <laughs> I've complained enough. Uh, uh, when, when, he, when he does that, though, he's saying, okay, you're, you're, there's this parameter. You are free within this job, but there's a parameter. You've got to stay on this route. You've got to follow these rules. And for all of us in driving, we have rules that we need to follow. Now, I've been blessed to travel to certain countries where there are traffic laws, but no one listens to them. Yeah, some of you maybe have been to those kind of places, and, uh, you know, there are three lanes that you should stay in, but there's 15 cars, right? <laughs> Dress across, the light turns green, it doesn't matter. The light turns red, it doesn't matter. People are just going to drive, and it's absolute chaos, and that freedom then becomes hindered, and it becomes very difficult to travel any length of distance because nobody's obeying the laws. But here in Canada, 
thankfully, for the most part, people obey the rules of the road for the most part. And with that, then, we have freedom to travel around without fear. We can travel all over this province if we abide within. John is going to pull you over and give you a ticket. And uh, he's, just, he's all over the city. You never know when he'll find you. I think you understand what I'm trying to get across. The point is that we have freedom to travel around, but there are still parameters for us to enjoy the freedom of our vehicle. If I just decided, I forget the rules, I'm going to do what I want. Guess what? Very quickly, my car's impounded. <laughs> Very quickly, I lose my license. Myself to the drivers that Nisley has trained, right? Which is great. Actually, it's very safe. So that's how it is with our freedom in Christ. We have some parameters around that freedom that allow us to enjoy our freedom to the fullest extent. Does that make sense? I hope you understand that. It allows us to ex- uh, experience it in a greater way. And in Galatians, called unto liberty, that's talking about us. Only, he says, use not the flesh. So the parameter here is that you have liberty, but do not use that liberty in Christ to feed your fleshly desires. As well, we notice here, he says, but by love, serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The obligation of our liberty in Jesus Christ is that it's not self-serving, but rather we would by love serve one another, love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. The evidence that a person is free, a follower of Christ, is that their faith will lead them to serve other people. That's the crux of the matter. That's the whole baseline for the message today. And the terms here that Paul used are very important because he says that, listen, if you're free in Christ, then you're gonna use that freedom to be a blessing and a help to other people. And the word that he uses is the word make yourself a slave to. And so he's saying that you're a willful slave, you're a willful, you place yourself in a willful position of submission to serve other people, and that is a mark of your freedom in Christ. Now that's just, it's it's different, isn't it, than the way that we think? Because when you're young, you think, man, when I turn 18, I'm free, right? And I'm leaving home, and I'm going to do whatever I want. That's the idea that we connect freedom with. But Jesus says, no, when you're free, you can use that freedom then. You're free from all of this bondage of sin to serve other people. That's big. That's huge because God wants us to no longer serve ourselves. God's desire for you is that you do not live in bondage to your sin and in bondage to your fleshly desires. Romans 6, we covered that last week. But we serve the Lord. We experience freedom to the fullest by serving other people. So the question is this. How do we develop that posture of service? How do we, in love, voluntarily place ourselves in positions where we're willing to serve other people? How do we get to that point individually? What is the motivation for that posture? And so last week, we began with a few questions. And the question we began with last week is, to help us get to this posture, we have to ask ourselves, who do we serve? Who do we serve? That's the big question right here. Who do we serve? The first step to developing a heart for service is to recognize who it is that we're giving our lives to serve. In Colossians chapter 3, 
verse 16, it says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. A little bit further down in the chapter in verse 23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily, that's to the fullest, how? As to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. Why? For you serve the Lord Christ. So here's the the baseline here. And these are just a few verses that speak to uh, the attitude and the motivation behind our service, and that is we are all, it's all pointed towards Jesus Christ. We are serving Jesus, we are serving him only, and so when we serve others, when we speak encouragement, when we give obediently, when we help those in need, when we partner with our local church, our focus is all about this is for Jesus and no one else, okay? It's all about Jesus. It's not your friend. You're not serving the Lord for your spouse. You're not serving the Lord so someone else will notice. You're not serving God uh, so that your pastor notices. That's not it at all. We are serving God. We develop a heart of service because we are Christ, and everything that we do should be for him and him alone. And here's what's so great about it. When we as a church family are able to come together and serve Christ from that purity of heart that we're serving God and him alone, we're not worried about what other people are doing, we're focused on the Lord, we realize that we're working together as a common goal, we're trying to reach people with the gospel, we're trying to make a difference in this community. When all of that sort of comes together, what is so amazing about it is it just, it it eliminates that selfish motivation that so many of us struggle with. Your workplace is full of selfish motivation. Did you know that? Where you work, man, those team meetings, they say team, right? <laughs> it's a bunch of individuals trying to get their way and trying to get their promotion and trying to figure out what they're trying to do. Now, if you, work in a, you might work in a great organization and everybody's you know, uh, vision focused and headed in the right direction. But listen, we don't need to bring that mentality into the church. The church is all about, about us serving the Lord together, pointed in the same direction. And it's a wonderful way to live life. It's a wonderful way to serve God, to come to a church and just be like, you know what? We're all here for the same reason, and we're here to serve the Lord. So we're going to do our best. We're going we're gonna to give generously. We're going to be kind to each other. We're going to work through things. We're going to work through any uh, conflict that may come because it's all about Jesus, number one. So it comes down to who do we serve? Well, we serve Christ. This helps us develop that posture of service because it's not about us. We're serving the Lord. The second question that I want us to ask, this is where we stopped last week, is why do we serve? So who do we serve? We serve Christ. Well, why do we serve? Well, first of all, we serve to follow Christ's example. Now, I'm going to cover several passages here, and you can follow along with me on the screen there. I'm going to read them sort of quickly, but we're going to see the example of Christ. Beginning in 1 Peter 2.21, he says, For even uh, hereunto you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Christ suffered for us, and this is the example. He suffered for others, okay? This is the example that he gave to us. In Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45, Jesus came and he said to them, he says, you know that they are counted to rule over the Gentiles, exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. So he gives us this contrast, the Gentiles, the Romans, those that were there in the day, they put their authority on people. They exercise lordship or lording over He says, look at verse 43 though, but so shall it not, that's the key word, it should not be that way among you. Whoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. 
Verse 45, here's the example. For even the Son of Man, came, speaking of himself, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a, say that word with me, servant. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Listen, Jesus is the perfect example of a servant's heart that we need to follow. And so when we're talking about how do we develop a servant's heart, recognize that Jesus is the example that we must follow. Think that the God of heaven, think about it for a moment, church. Man, the God of heaven, equal with God, humbled himself, take on the form of a man to come to this earth, God incarnate in the flesh came for the purpose of serving the very mankind that rejected him. His own creation that turned their back on him in rebellion, he came to serve you. He came to ultimately serve us in the most amazing way possible, which is to give up his life so that you could be free. <laughs> and experience freedom in Christ. Come on, that's amazing. <laughs> that he would do that for you and for me. That's the example that we have. That's the example. The example is of total humility and of service and coming down. Notice, he humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, the death of the cross, and he did it for you, and he did it for your salvation. For those of you that are here this morning that do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know how much God loves you. That's how much. The cross is how much. That he gave his life to pay the penalty for your sin so that you could be free and made the righteousness of God in him. That's how much God loves you. And church, those of us that are believers that have accepted that free gift, we're so thankful for our salvation in Christ. But listen, he also came as an example to us. And the example is of humility of service. And so when we consider the sacrifice that Christ made for us, did you know that our little sacrifices really pale in comparison? Those small sacrifices of our pride, the sacrifice of our finances, the sacrifice of our time, it really doesn't seem all that important when compared to the sacrifice of Christ. But yet for us, that's the biggest thing, right? Like, oh, you have no idea, pastor. I was going to tell that person off. But boy, I, I held it back. I held it back for them, right? <laughs> I, I, held back, I sacrificed my pride. Come on. God gave us life. Our example, and that we, the example that we should follow. And so we serve following the example of Christ. But another reason we serve is to follow Christ's command. So we're following his example. But with that example, there's also a command. Look at Hebrew, or back in Galatians 5.13 again. He says, uh, you've been called into liberty, but the last part, he says, by love, serve one another. That's a command given to us. He says, hey, it's not, a, it's not like, hey, you know, if, if you've got time and it feels like it. No, he says, you need to, by love, serve one another. I've given you freedom. I've given you liberty. You need to serve one another. In Christ's message on greatness in Matthew 20, verse 27, he says, whosoever be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. God's command to us today is that you must be willing and you should serve. And he goes so far as to say, if you want to be first, if you want to be the leader, then you must have a heart 
to serve. Now, this is where we see something that's so unique about Christianity again, is that the Christian economy, the, the, the world that we operate in, is always at odds with secular society. Did you realize that? I think sometimes we try so hard to fit our faith into, uh, you know, our society and the culture around us. Just eliminate that from your mind, okay? It's going to be different. Jesus was countercultural, and his followers are going to be countercultural. This is what it is. And so here we see this whole e- economy aspect here where our culture says if you want to be the greatest, then you're going to have to take it, right? You're going to have to walk over somebody else, and, uh, and they say things like, well, hey, it's nothing personal. It's just business, right? You're like, thanks. <laughs> this hurt me personally. <laughs> and that's our world's mentality. It's, uh, it's, you just take what you get and you just, you know, I'm going to make it myself and I'm going I'm to make this happen no matter who gets in my way, no matter who gets hurt. Jesus says, no, you want to be the greatest. The greatest one is the one who serves other people. Our service should be out of a desire to be obedient to Christ. Listen, this is a command to us. It's okay, by the way, for you to desire a higher position of influence. It's okay for you to desire leadership, spiritual leadership. That's a, that's a good thing. We should aspire to be growing and to develop and to have a greater impact for the gospel. That's, that's totally okay. But only if it's from a heart that is obedient to Christ's command and recognizing that, okay, I'm going to get there by serving other people. Our service should be out of a desire to be obedient to Christ and be a blessing for others. So my question is, is have you ever done that? Has there ever been a time in your life where you serve somebody from a heart of humility? That you serve someone with no expectation of return? That you serve someone and you didn't care if anybody noticed? Okay, now listen, we all say, yes, pastor. Yeah, I, for sure I've done that. Okay, but let's really think about it for a moment. How many times do we serve the Lord and serve others and we still are doing it for that recognition? We still want them to kind of like, hey, thanks. We hope that somebody else notices. Now, by the way, if you notice somebody serving or someone serves you, please say thank you, okay? We should be kind and we should take note of those that are serving. But the point is, is the heart of the matter. How we do it, why we do it, is because simply God commands us to serve. God commands us to minister to other people. And that heart is developed as we see Christ's example, number one, and also his command. And so that answers the question, why do we serve? So we're serving Christ, and the reason we're serving Christ is because of his example and his commands to us. But I want to ask one more question this morning, and I think this is a, a, this is a great question. It's this, well, what happens when we serve? So we know we're serving Christ. We're serving because he commands us to in his example. But what happens then when we serve? Well, what happens when a group of people or an individual begins to understand that they're serving Christ in obedience? What happens when we truly do humble ourselves and serve without expectation of return? Well, I will tell you this. I'll just give you a spoiler alert. Amazing things can happen, especially within a church. Incredible things can happen when we as individuals serve God from that heart and with that mentality. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And I want to show you an example here in the early church of what happens when people serve one another without expectation of return. Now, let's just be clear. This is in Jerusalem. I mean, the day of Pentecost was happening. It had just happened. This is all kind of around the same time. The church is exploding in growth. That, you know, uh, 
3,000 baptized in one day. I think we should pray for that, don't you? Come, all right, okay, put on your list, all right? Lord, we want to baptize 3,000 people one Sunday here at City Baptist. Uh, we wouldn't be able to go home. We'd be here all day, but that would be great, wouldn't it? Maybe two or three at a time, just, we just push them in and then just have them walk out the other side. I think that would work. That would be a, a good way to make it happen. So, I mean, God, God is just doing amazing things. People are hearing uh, the, 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 the word in their own language. Like, all this stuff is going on. It's amazing. So then we come to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 44 through 47. It says, and all that believed were together. So these are the believers here, now into the thousands. And had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Here's the example of what happens when individuals serve as Christ served us. Notice here. First of all, I just want to bring out a couple thoughts out of this passage. Notice, these were the members of that early church who probably never met together in one big meeting. We don't know. We don't have any record of them gathering, these thousands of people gathering together. But we know that they met in smaller groups and smaller times. They might have been together at the temple for a moment. But here they are, these people who were gathering together, who were so thankful for their salvation that they became serious about serving and investing in this brand new local church. Notice what it says here, that they had all things common. What that means is that they held their possessions lightly. It means that whatever it is that they had, they weren't like like this, you know? (laughs) It means they held it lightly. It's the idea that if somebody had a need and I had a possession that could meet that need or I had the ability to meet that need, it was no problem for me to meet that need and take care of it. Does that make sense? They held everything lightly. It's like when you go to somebody's house and they're like, make yourself at home. Actually, it's not like that because we all have limits to that, don't we? (laughs) You know, you ever see someone going through your fridge, right? Okay, anyway, (laughs) that's what I want. If you come to my house and I say, make yourself at home, please go into my fridge, that's fine. You won't find anything, but it's there. (laughs) But it's the idea that whatever they had, I I just, you know what? What's mine is yours. I'm willing to share it. If there's a need, I I will share it with them. Notice as well that they were willing to sell their possessions and distribute the money from selling their property and homes in order to meet the needs of somebody else. Now, don't misunderstand. People have this idea that the early church was some sort of like hippie commune, you know, and everybody's just like living in one spot and we sold everything and we all, no, no, there's, I mean, there's like 3,000 plus at this point. Okay, that's a city. That's a small city. So it's not like they're all living in this one spot. But the point is this, is that they were willing to, and they did, and many did, sold their possessions And then through the leadership and the the oversight of the apostles and those that were leading the church, they were able to meet the needs willingly of the congregation. And they were a blessing to those who were in need. Now you say, well, pastor, is that what you're asking of us today? No, I'm not asking you to do that. Although I've known people who have done that, who sold property and sold possessions in order to be a blessing and help to others. And that's amazing when that happens. And when God leads you to do something like that, don't, don't say, God, you're crazy. Don't say that. Say, okay, maybe this, is, maybe this is the Lord speaking to me about something. God might be wanting to do something through you that he may not be able to do through other people. But here what we see is that when they were, had this heart, again, it's about the heart here. They were willing to do it. They were willing to distribute their possessions to serve one another. And with that, some amazing things happened. I want you to notice here in the verse, notice what happened. First of all, there was community. 
There was community. Did you see that there in verse number uh, 44? It says that they were together, had all things common. And then verse 46, they continued daily with one another, meaning there was this great community that came forth out of this. Also, we see that there was gladness. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) There's gladness. That means extreme joy. When was the last time you had extreme joy? Not in a weird kind of crazy way. (laughs) But you had, I mean, you had some joy in your life. So there was community, there was a bond, there was gladness, there was uh, unity. It's a singleness of heart. That's the idea. There was unity with the people. There was praise. There was a lot of praise and giving adoration to God like we sang about today. It says that they had favor with all men. Notice that. Favor with all men. That means that not just the people in their church, but others saw the evidence of the grace of God. That's what it means, that favor. They saw, uh, they saw the Christ-like spirit within them. They were a people who had a testimony in their community. We also see that there was growth. Did you notice that? It says that daily, praising God, having favor with the people, and the Lord added to the church daily. They were seeing people saved and coming to Christ every single day. Man, I long for that. I long for that. That we would see people coming to Christ every day. This is the result. This is what I want you to see, church. This is the result of a group of people who said, we're going to just serve God. We're going to serve him with a pure heart. The things that God has blessed us with, I know who they're from. They're from God, and because I'm serving Christ, I'm willing to just share it. God, you want me to sell something that I have to be a blessing to others? Oh, no problem. No problem. God, you're, dude, you've done all of, this good, all of these good things for me, and Lord, I just want to serve you from a pure heart. And I want you to know that when that happens in someone's life, when it happens in your life individually, when it happens in a church environment, there is an impact in our hearts, in our attitudes, in our vision, and in our community. And when God gets a hold of somebody's life, when you let God lead you in this way, when you allow God to strip from your life everything that you hold dear in the sense of your pride and that removal of self, and you, and you just serve God completely and totally From that humble spirit, amazing things happen. And I'll tell you this, there's no hiding the evidence of your faith at that point. There is no hiding the evidence of your faith. And the compounding result of that passion results in a greater community impact. Because think about it, if our church was filled with unity and joy and gladness and serving God together, man, that sounds like a church I want to go to. That's a church I want to go to. Now listen. Today's message is not just about being willing to serve here at the church. This isn't about like, Pastor, are we short on volunteers? Uh, Yeah, a little bit, okay. That's not about this though, just so you understand. That's not why I'm preaching this message. The point is, is that my desire for you as a church family and as your pastor is that we would have a singular focus and that we, our hearts would be turned towards Christ in this way. That we would be looking for ways to serve. That we'd be listening for ways to serve. And as we develop that mindset, I promise you it will impact your life. It can change the culture of your life, the culture of a church. And our faith will take on a new position of evidence, of proof to our world and to our neighborhood of the goodness of God. In Matthew 7, Jesus uh, gave us this quick line, by their fruits you shall know them. Now, he's talking here about false teachers, and that's true, (laughs) You'll know them. You'll, if you ever wonder if somebody's a false teacher, just wait for a little bit. 
But the principle does apply to us as believers as well. It's a, it's a biblical principle that applies to us. You, you can see the fruit of someone's faith as it's lived out in their life. The evidence of our faith is seen in our service. So the question for us this morning is, do you have a heart to serve? How simple is that? Do you have a heart to serve? Do you go out of your way? Do you inconvenience yourself? Has there ever been a time in your life where you were inconvenienced in order to serve and demonstrate Christ's love to someone around you? Let me ask you this. Is there someone right now that you know God wants you to serve? That if you could think right now, you're thinking about their name right now. And you're like, I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I want to serve them. God, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. <laughs> I want to tell you, it might be God trying to work something in you. You need to be listening to the Spirit of God, listening to God working in your life. Do you sacrifice? You say, Pastor, I'm here today on a rainy Sunday. Sacrifice. Check. (laughs) (laughs) Do you sacrifice of your time? Do you sacrifice of the blessings that God has given to you? in order to carry out the command of God to serve one another? Or do you only serve when you're asked? Do you only serve when someone is watching? Or do you just avoid it altogether? See, the more that we become like Christ, church family, the more that we are reborn into the image of his son, the more that we allow our faith in God to impact how we live, not only will it impact how we approach the world around us, but it'll impact the way that we serve one another. And the spillover effect will be seen tremendously in our families, in our workplaces, in our community, and in our local church body. So how's your heart to serve? Do you have a heart to serve? Remember who it is that you're serving. You're serving Christ and him alone. So if you need to maybe go back to the very beginning, some of you that serve in so many ways, you volunteer in so many ways here at City, maybe It'd be good just to evaluate all the areas that you're serving in and say, okay, am I doing this for Christ? Am I doing this for Christ? Yeah, sure, a a team leader may have asked you to help. Of course, there's needs. But it all comes back to the heart. We're serving Christ. And we're not just doing it because it's a good thing to do. It's because he commands us to do it and because he gave us a great example of it. And above all else, remember what happens when you serve. Great things can happen. Great things can happen. And the examples are given to us here in Scripture. And so this morning, that's the question. How's your heart of service? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning just for a moment.